0: This is the Nuance Podcast by Medicine Explained. We're your hosts, Amanda and Dan. We talk to experts on health, the human experience, and the intersection of climate and human health.
1: We explore the nuance that's been lost in today's conversation. We don't take ads because we want to keep our information unbiased.
0: But we do need your support, so leave a review on Apple or Spotify.
1: And share with your friends or on social media.
0: In today's conversation, we speak with Dr. Taylor Sittler, who is head of research at Levels. He is a physician and entrepreneur. His career has focused on personalizing medicine, starting companies in genetics and women's health, including co-founding Color Health, where he was chief science officer. Prior to that, he completed his residency in clinical pathology at UCSF and started a genetics research group in computer science department at UC Berkeley with David Patterson. Taylor received a Howard Hughes medical training grant and scholarship during medical school at University of Massachusetts and UCSD. He has published papers on pathogen detection and characterization, genetic sequence analysis and algorithms, and several other topics related to systems biology. He is an avid skier and hiker and enjoys all things outdoors. In this conversation, we talk about metabolic health. New statistics are coming out about the metabolic health of the population of the United States, and about nine out of 10 US adults are metabolically unhealthy. We talk about what this means to the health of the population and what Levels is doing in the field of research and education to help address this. We talk about the impact of sugar on our health and other foundational principles for prevention of diseases. This was a very informative conversation, and we hope you enjoy it. Now, on to the podcast. Hi, Dr. Sittler. Welcome to the Nuance Podcast. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Um, Thank you for taking time off of your vacation to share information (laughs) about levels and metabolic health, and I'm really excited to get into it.
1: Absolutely. Me too. Thanks for having me, Amanda.
0: Of course. So I would love to just start with the basics. What is metabolic health?
1: <laughs> yeah. So surprisingly, even though it is very basic, it's one of those things that we sort of brush over in medical school. I mean, we do have some biochemistry and we sort of learn the glycolytic pathway and cellular respiration and we promptly forget it. Uh, as we move into medicine. But, you know, fundamentally our bodies are made up of about 50 trillion cells and each one of them needs energy to function. The three main sources of energy are the macronutrients in the foods that we eat, protein, fat, and carbohydrates. This energy is stored in our cells, either in the form of sugar, glucose, or fat as triglycerides. And it's released into the bloodstream at a, at a very tightly controlled rate so that all 50 trillion cells in your body can get a consistent, reliable source of energy. Both glucose and fat are tightly regulated in the bloodstream, and your tissues, mainly your liver, your uh, muscle, and your fat, go through this highly choreographed dance to maintain a very consistent level so that your cells can all get the energy they need to survive. Um, The process of storage, release, and generation from from this food is called metabolism. So the overall process of going from those macronutrients to the energy that your cells use is called metabolism. And when your internal systems, mostly your liver, muscle, and your fat cells are synchronized and they're working together well, uh, you have good metabolic health. When these systems get out of sync, and we see this very often today, um, and this is evident in the rates of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease we see in the country, and it's usually due to uh, continuous feeding or or consistently overeating with uh, large amounts of refined carbohydrates, you get elevated insulin levels, you get inflammation, metabolic disease, type 2 diabetes. A lot of the diseases that we do study in school. Um, and then this this also puts you at risk for you know a number of other things, like nine out of the ten most common uh causes of death. It turns out that there are better and worse ways to live, and that you can have pretty big effects on your metabolism by choosing the right uh health habits. Um the good news is there's there's actually a lot that people can do about it.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much. So as a conventionally trained physician, how did you become interested in metabolic health?
1: Well, it was a bit of a road for me. Um, I, you know, I, I always knew that there was a a problem. Um, I don't know if you read omnivores dilemma, but I thought, um, you know, Michael Pollan did a great job of summarizing the problem back in 2006, I think, um, back then it was called the obesity epidemic. And, um, so you know, I had known that that this was there, but uh, hadn't really put the pieces together in terms of how many conditions and diseases were dependent upon metabolic health. Um, you know, after I finished my residency, I started a genetics company called Color Health. And after working for in genetics for a while, uh, I became really interested in what we could monitor beyond genetics that would give us information about predisposition for disease. And I initially got really interested in hormones. Um, I was, for a while I was looking at the changes that happen in menopause with dropping estrogen levels. And, and you know, it was immediately evident the impacts on metabolism there. Um, while I was doing that work and in a previous company, uh, I had put together a tentative study with the levels team to look at uh, hormone and glucose levels in women who were having hot flashes. And I think as, you know, as I kept going down this rabbit hole and, uh, you know, connected with the team, learn more about metabolic health, it, it began dawning on me, um, that, you know, metabolic health was such a, a cornerstone of health in general and that we could use continuous monitoring, starting with continuous glucose monitoring to identify important changes in metabolic health and to give people feedback on it.
0: Amazing. Um, And I'm really glad that you're also focusing on female hormones because uh, I feel like a lot of the research, yeah, a lot of the research in nutrition and just in general um, is mostly done on uh, male participants. And so the female hormones are usually not talked about as much. Like we're talking about fasting a lot of the times, but sometimes people who are in the reproductive phase of their life may not necessarily benefit from fasting. So is there actually this is a little bit off script? I know I've sent you some questions, but have you found some interesting data on how um, like a reproductive a female in their reproductive years, how their metabolism is different than like a male's? Like, does fasting work? Do you have different types of macronutrients? Are you seeing some of that play out in your data?
1: Yeah, no, definitely. I, I guess you know, even before I dive into that, I would say. Um, what I discovered um, as I was, you know, looking into this was that, um, you know, female hormone health and the diseases that surround it are, you know, super important. They impact millions of women, and they're super under researched. Um, we actually started a company to try to help women going through perimenopause and, and menopause and to get them better treatment to set them up for the second half of life, uh, because there there are such big fluctuations and there are things that can be done. It really is an under-invested um, area, and, and there's a lot that we can do. Some simple things that we see in the data that we're collecting now, uh, and, and this has actually been known for a while, is that, for instance, a woman's insulin resistance changes over the course of her cycle. So when she's in the luteal phase, she's actually a, a bit more insulin resistant. That means you can expect to see higher spikes, um, you can expect to see longer spikes, uh, and and she may spike with meals that she might not. Uh, earlier in, in the cycle. And, um, so yeah, there are some important components here in terms of fasting. I think fasting was such an Im- important and early evolutionary adaptation, uh, that, that people had to go through. And in fact, what we see is there are some, you know, things like insulin resistance and, um, our response to uric acid, for instance, um, were actually born out of uh, starvation mechanisms and and uh, ad- adaptations to evolution, so there's a lot that that's that's buried deeply within our our physiology that's related to long periods of fasting so I would say there's pretty good data that um, women in the reproductive years can still fast, but we're learning uh, still how best that can happen.
0: Thank you for sharing that's really interesting and thank you for doing that research It's very needed. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm I'm excited to hopefully support a bunch more people doing that. I think it's it's a really important field. Um, I think yeah, it it is growing though. It, it, there's definitely more out there than there used to be.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how are glucose levels linked to our health, and why is it important to know um, from an individual standpoint point how our body responds to certain foods?
1: Yeah, so uh, glucose is both directly and indirectly linked to our health. Um, It's directly linked in that your average glucose is uh, basically a measure, is measured by your HbA1c. A1c is basically the amount of sugar sticking to the blood cells in your body, which is a proxy for the amount of sugar that would stick to any cells in your body. Um, As glucose sticks to those cells, uh, it, in- and it activates the proteins and other things on the surface, uh, and it can cause a number of different issues, the most obvious of which is diabetes, uh, if levels are left too high for too long. And so, you know, the if your average glucose, just looking over, you're looking at your CGM data over time, your continuous glucose data over time, is directly linked to the damage that your body is sustaining and having to, you know, um, recreate in terms of new cells, um, to, to deal with that. Um, now glucose is also importantly, indirectly linked to your health. Um, and, and that's where watching how your body, uh, regulates glucose in response to different things that you do actually has a big, uh, can, can be linked to important things like insulin resistant and your metabolic health. Um, Specifically, like if you have a meal with a bunch, of, if you eat some pasta or you eat some p- pizza and you have a large spike, how high does the spike go? How long does the spike last? How long does it take to recover? Do you have a crash after the spike? All of these things tell us how well your metabolic system is functioning and how insulin resistant you potentially are. We can also see glucose change in response to exercise or overnight while you sleep. And all of these things can give us clues about how healthy you are and what you might be able to do to improve your health. I think, you know, so the indirect effects of measuring glucose, I think, are even more important, but we have more to learn there. We're still at the very early stages.
0: And so I know that some people say that glucose monitoring is um, super important, but that insulin may be a marker that you want to try to track in the future. Um, Do you think glucose is like a perfect, like a good... Marker for how your insulin is responding, or are you looking to maybe do like a continuous insulin monitor?
1: (laughs) Oh, that would be amazing. A continuous (laughs) insulin monitor would be, you know, that would actually be the best thing that we could do. Because what we're sort of doing is using glucose as a proxy for insulin resistance right now. Um, I would say if I had to sum up metabolic disease, the two main issues that drive the rest of the diseases that occur later in life are insulin resistance and inflammation. And so measuring insulin directly would be the best way to go. Um, we can't do that right now. The, you know, levels doesn't produce these monitors. There are a couple of large, um, device companies that have chosen to build them Abbott and Dexcom and, um, sugar is a good starting point. It's better to be able to measure, uh, glucose, uh, continuously than nothing continuously. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's a proxy for insulin in some cases, but me- Measuring insulin directly would be far better. And we know, for instance, with prediabetes and diabetes, that insulin levels change uh, much earlier than uh, glucose levels do.
0: Yeah. And and you can also measure like the inflammation in your body, but it's it's so funny because like, you know, in medical school we're taught like measure ESR and CRP, which are inflammatory markers in the blood. But now people right. say don't measure it anymore because essentially everyone's inflamed. So it's like non-specific <laughs> for an inflammatory process.
1: Right. And that tells you that there's maybe a problem. Maybe um, I Yeah, I, I would say CRP is a it's it's an incomplete marker um because it's you, you know, it's it's so tied to infection often and can go up by so many orders of magnitude with infection. I think, you know, some of the other things that might, we're, we're sort of looking into monitoring would be things like IL-6 or TNF-alpha or IL-1 that are more directly linked with chronic inflammation and the type of inflammation that's incurred by these um, high refined carb diets uh, over time.
0: So in your experience, uh, y'all have collected a lot of data so far. Um, Mm. What has been the most surprising thing that's come out of the data from Levels?
1: Well, let me back up for a minute and and talk a little bit about what Levels is first, if that's okay. (laughs) Um, Great, um, thank you. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Levels is a software company that helps people see how food affects their health through a mobile application that leverages data from biosensors and other sources like apple health levels uses uh, that data to help members uh, look at their food logs uh, and provide real-time feedback uh, on how their diet and lifestyle choices are impacting their metabolic health Um, they can it it can help you with things like food swaps if you're if you're what we see is that really everybody Uh, has their own needs their own personalized diet. There's no one diet that seems to work for everyone. And so, um, helping people discover what is their sort of personalized optimal diet can be really helpful. Like for me, for instance, I I don't spike very much with uh, ice cream, but I spike a ton with rice, uh, or oatmeal. Um, some people have, you know, other, other things that they, they spike with. And so, um, you know, looking at your continuous glucose data, In response to particular meals that you try, can give you a lot of information about what's good for you and what might not be. Uh, And I think that's where you know levels really shines. Um, In addition, we offer other services that can you know benefit metabolic health, like the you know ongoing continuous glucose monitoring. Uh, We do blood testing, so we actually do a fasting insulin as part of our blood panel, which people can get. um, And we also offer nutritional guidance Um, as part of our work and and kind of commitment to our levels and and the general public, we've launched a large, it's the largest trial um, that I'm aware of. Uh, It's an observational trial, looking at the glucose dynamics in the general population. So um, what we're trying to learn here is um, what do, you know, what are the the bounds of um, healthy glucose levels and changes in the general public? Most studies that have been done to date. Look at populations of between one to five hundred people with type one or type two diabetes. Um, With this trial, we're looking at fifty thousand people, and uh, we're going to be able to tie some of these glucose changes to um, other things, uh, particular behaviors, for instance, or a run that you might have done. Since we can uh, we can correlate it with things like uh, anything that's stored in the Apple Health Kit, so it gives us a lot of potential. To help um, essentially establish a health baseline for people, and to help people start identifying wh- when they're off that baseline, um, as well as to really develop personalized cohorts that um, can help people understand when things uh, might be good or not good for them, even if it might, even if that's not true for someone else.
0: That's so fascinating and really exciting. So it's something that has always interested me in the nutrition space is that everyone talks about the Mediterranean diet and how healthy the Mediterranean diet is, because that's where all the studies have been done. And we see all of these personalized responses to certain foods. Like you were saying, your blood doesn't spike after ice cream, but it does after rice. Um, And what I was wondering is, do people's like genetics and where they come from in the world play a role in how they respond to insulin. So I've always just wondered if, like, place also makes a difference.
1: Yeah, I, I think we're still learning, to be honest, what those things are. It, it, you know, the, the jury is still out. There, We do know that there are some genetic linkages, but um, there are also a, a ton of different factors that impact um, your insulin sensitivity, microbiome being one of them, um, sleep. The, your general exercise level and fitness, right? That determines the the number of GLUT4 receptors that are on your muscle that are able to take in glucose in response to insulin. Um, there, there are, you know, a bunch of different factors. And what's been, I mean, actually one of the things that's been most surprising to me so far is how quickly your insulin resistance can change in response to uh, different things that you do. Uh, if you take up a running habit, for instance, your insulin sensitivity goes up very quickly. If you um, if you do some intermittent fat, well, you know, intermittent fasting, I think needs to be done, it, it needs to be personalized for each individual. And, you know, if if you do have a health condition that you think might be impacted by it, you should probably talk to your doctor before doing it. Now that said, we have, I think there are large enough trials available now uh, across a range of different conditions that we can pretty safely say that intermittent fasting as an example is pretty good for you. Um, in the right context. And, you know, fasting can, for me, for instance, it can lower my blood sugar by 10 points um, within about a week. And uh, it, it can also reduce the spikes that I may get in response to different foods. Um, you can drop your blood glucose with a walk or a slow jog, and that changes with your insulin resistance too. So I think what's been really interesting is that there are so many fa- the genetics certainly pays, plays a part, but these. That your insulin sensitivity is is a really dynamic thing uh, that can be impacted in a number of different ways.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then sleep is something that is—I mean, more and more people are talking about it. But the impact of lack of sleep on people's health in general and insulin resistance, like you were saying, is wild. It's huge. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I mean, there's so many factors that play into it. I was just wondering like potentially like dairy and then someone like who didn't grow up with dairy Mm -hmm. has a, has a role, but like for the specific (laughs) food spikes, like things that you would never expect.
1: (laughs) It's, it's true. Like I, I, I think certainly, um, what you're, what you're accustomed to eating may have something to do with it. We, we don't really yet know that. Um, but, but I think intuitively that makes sense, right? If you're accustomed to eating certain things, you can, you might not spike as much from them. Um, your microbiome is probably adjusted to those types of things. Um, you're, you know, I, I don't know that any of us have any of our ancestors have stayed in one location long enough to adjust to the food in that region um, because there, you know, people have moved around for, you know, tens of thousands of years, but um, it's possible.
0: Yeah, super interesting. So, in one of the interviews that you've done in the past, um, you were saying that we're talking about establishing a baseline for health rather than a baseline for mm-hmm. disease. Um, so, I love that. And how is the mission of levels different from um, the conventional ideology that we have in the healthcare field right now?
1: Yeah, so I, I think, you know, as we've been discussing a little bit, most of medicine is geared around sick care. Um, we wait until disease develops and then try to classify it and act on it. Um, Preventive health in the past has mostly been an afterthought. We're getting better at it, and I think um, with each major disease that we look into, we identify markers earlier and earlier upstream, but I would say still, by and large, traditional medicine is is focused on diagnosing and treating disease. Uh, The first thing we're taught uh, when we you know, think about a doctor's visit is how to take a history of present illness, and if you're doing that, you're, you're already kind of behind the eight ball as far as we're concerned. Um, I think the um, what we're trying to do is to really flip the narrative and ha- help people and doctors, um, really people first. Uh, I think doctors may come later. Uh, start thinking about um, maintaining health rather than avoiding disease. It's much easier to have a single goal i.e. to stay healthy, than it is to have a thousand goals, like avoid cancer, avoid cardiovascular disease, avoid diabetes, which is kind of what your doctor is asking you to do, right? Eat this so you don't get that. Eat this so you don't, do this so you don't get that. Do this so you don't get that. And that that there's so many things that you then have to do to try to stay healthy um, that it, it becomes kind of overwhelming. And I think what we're trying to do is just boil it down to a few things that enable you to stay optimally healthy. Of course, it helps that metabolic health In and of itself is related to so many different diseases. Um, but that, that's really the goal.
0: Thank you. So from a preliminary viewpoint of the data that you've been collecting, which is um, what we, the trial that we talked about earlier, where you said you have 50,000 participants, which is amazing, that's a powerful study. <laughs> what is some of the preliminary data showing of dietary recommendations um, that can be generalized to the public? So if someone doesn't necessarily have access to a continuous glucose monitor right now, um, but how can they benefit from some of the data that you're already collecting?
1: Well, so we're the trial that we're doing is actually an observational trial. So what we're what we're going to be able to identify, and we haven't yet, by the way, we've we've got a few thousand people that have joined the study. We're not we're, we're we just launched it a few months ago. Um, But what we're hoping to do is be able to identify general trends. I don't know that we'll be able to get to the significance level to be able to recommend particular interventions like diet or fasting or exercise. But what I can say from looking at different trials that have been done in the space is that, yeah, I would say, you know, diet, fasting, exercise, sleep are probably the four biggest things that you can do um, just based on what we know generally. Uh, it's it's tricky to find the right foods. And of course, a continuous glucose monitor can really help you identify which ones are good for you and which ones aren't. But a good rule of thumb is to eat whole foods and to really avoid, and by whole foods, I just mean like actual vegetables, actual things that grow in the ground. Um, cut them up, cook them up, eat them together. That's fine. Try not to do refined foods. Try not to do processed foods. Don't do stuff that comes in a package, um, and particularly don't do refined carbohydrates. I think those are the the biggest issues. Um, both refined carbs um, in pastas, pizzas, breads. Those are, I think, the biggest things. Don't drink your calories. Um, you can you can drink calories much more quickly than you can eat them. And then I think um, high fructose corn syrup is something to avoid. Uh, fructose uh, can increase the levels of uric acid in your body, and that can impact. Blood pressure, as well as a number of other um, downstream issues related to cardiovascular and, and uh, health and diabetes. So, the well and and uric acid is related to gout as well, of course. But um, in terms of diet, I think you know the the basic things are eat whole foods, avoid refined carbs, and kind of go from there. Um, so, fasting, we talked a little bit about that. I think that's a great thing to do. Um, generally, what we've seen is around thirteen hours is where the effect starts to kick in. Um, Personally, I do 16 hours a day in general. Um, You don't have to do it all the time, but I think um, doing it periodically can can be helpful for folks. Um, Exercise has the greatest long-term correlation with longevity across all the studies that we've seen. Um, People who have higher cardiometabolic fitness as they age are most likely to live a long, healthy life. Um, Some high-intensity and some low-intensity exercise are probably both good. And what's been interesting is we've seen that um, both impact your glucose level in different ways, which is kind of cool. Um, people recommend, you know, I think the studies now recommend about 15 minutes of high intensity exercise or 30 minutes of moderate exercise a day. That's a good starting point. Um, but the main thing is to move and to enjoy doing it because you've got to do it every day. So, um, and then we talked, we we mentioned sleep. I think, you know, sleep is a tough one because people wake up at night. It can be hard to know exactly how many hours you're getting. There are lots of different sleep trackers out there. Some of them are, are better than others. Um, in general, I think trying to get seven or eight hours a night is is a good idea. And if you're feeling tired day over day, it's probably good to pay attention to that and see if you can fix it. So those those would be my general health tips to keep people metabolically healthy.
0: Great. Thank you so much. Um, and so I would be interested to know um, what the next steps for levels are because um, y'all have grown so quickly and you're a really new company, but the the information that you're sharing and the data that you're collecting is amazing. And you can see people really clamoring for this. Um, so what are your next steps?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's really mostly what we're trying to do as a company is to improve our product. So that we can really help people change their metabolic health, and we can demonstrate that. Uh, I think I think that's the primary goal of the company right now, is to figure out how we can, you know, clearly and consistently help people improve their health, uh, and then we'll we'll need to demonstrate that um, by you know, conducting studies, publishing, um, getting the information out there, and and probably also working with insurance and other. Uh, enterprises to make this available to uh, people more broadly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, the first step is really to to build the product in a way that we know it works and, and it's engaging for people. Um, you know, changing your health habits is not easy and we know it's going to take some time to build a program that works. Um, the second thing would then be, um, you know, bringing down the price for people. So more people are able to get it either by working with insurance companies or working with some of the medical device companies that supply the sensors or, you know, probably a combination of,
0: of both of those things. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much. And I know that mm-hmm. Levels is all about personalized health, But do you mind walking through your average day of like, how much sleep are you getting? And then how much exercise do you usually get on your ideal day? (laughs) And then like, what is your, what is your food schedule kind of look like? Just so people, I think, um, have an example in their head of what, what, uh, you've done to maybe change your lifestyle after looking at your, um, continuous glucose monitor and the data you're getting from that. Um, what changes you've done and how, how you've been feeling since that.
1: Totally. Well, I, th- I think the first thing you go through is this kind of, um, it's, it's like a discovery cycle with the food that you're eating. So, you know, I, when I first started, I was eating a lot more rice. I was eating a lot more pasta and pizza. And then I would notice that basically every time I ate one of those things, I would spike. And, you know, I tried a few different combinations, um, and was never really able to get that to work. And so it became clear that those things had to, had to come out. Um, sometimes you can actually change your, um, the way your body responds by, um, changing in what order you eat things, which is kind of interesting. So, you know, I think my first to, you know, my first sort of, um, di- dive into this was when I put the continuous glucose monitor on, I saw all the things that food was doing And So I, I changed some of the things that I was eating. The next thing I did was really, um, figured out whether intermittent fasting was helpful. So after looking at the data, I started doing a 16-8 fast. And my, so my day currently looks like I try to stop eating by seven or 8 PM. And I don't eat until around noon the next day. I just have coffee in the morning and maybe some water, or sparkling water. Um, and then I'll go out and eat lunch. Um, and I'll have a normal lunch, a normal dinner. I try to get exercise in either in the morning or um, in the afternoon that is somewhat dependent on whether I'm picking up my two-year-old or, um, what she's doing in the middle of the day. But yeah, generally I think I get some kind of exercise at a minimum, you know, going for an hour walk. I tend to take most of my calls while I'm walking, um, which can be really helpful, but that's actually the hardest part is the consistent exercise I would say. Uh, and then other things that I do, I, you know, I used to take more supplements than I do now. I'm kind of going through a period where I'm you know, scaling back and thinking about things like, you know, do we try all the different forms of NAD or berberine or B12 or all of the things that people talk about. Um, so I'm actually not doing much of that right now. And, um, you know, the, the things, I guess the things I enjoy are, I, I, I'm, I still go to CrossFit and I like doing those workouts a couple times a week. Uh, I like running and I'll go for a slow jog, through the park um, i live in seattle now a couple of blocks from volunteer park so i'll you know take a break go go for a run through the park and come back and um i think you know my my work day is is kind of integrated with the things that i do as much as possible so you know like i said getting d- taking a Walk while I take a call is really helpful. Or if I need to listen to a podcast or I need to learn something, um, I might listen to an audio book and go for a walk while I'm doing that. And then uh, I do try to get the 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 one thing I have been pretty good about is sleep, um, and and that's been helped by my two year old who falls asleep at 8:30 or 9 p.m. So you know generally I fall asleep with her and and I have to really work to, to wake up again, uh, <laughs> after that. So, uh, a lot of nights, um, then I'll sleep from nine to like, you know, five or 6 AM and then get up and, and get started with some coffee and and go for the
0: next day. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean, uh, sure. running around, uh, chasing a two-year-old is exercise for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs>
0: And so lastly, we ask all of our guests to finish the following sentence. The future is blank.
1: Well, I guess given the topic today, we should say the future is metabolic. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, that's a that's a starting point. But I, I think the future is also bright and and it's in our control, which is something that I think is really important for people to know and understand. Um, that, you know, you you can change your health, yet you just need to take control of it.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Sitley. This was a really wonderful conversation. I'm so excited about what Levels is doing, um, what you're spearheading, um, the research that you're doing. And then I think that empowerment is really a, a big crux of what Levels is, is trying to get at, um, really allowing people to take their health into their own hands. So thank you for all that you do.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I guess I didn't say that very clearly, but that is the main goal of the company is to enable people to get the data that they need to take control of their own health and to make those changes that they can make Uh, because it's it's often hard to find those things in the you know from your doctor or um, you know there's a lot of conflicting data out there and I think Levels does a great job of giving people what they need to be able to um, empower them to own their health
0: perfect thank you